Hello and welcome to another episode of the Wisdom of Friends podcast. Thank Thank you for tuning in. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for coming. This is a podcast where you get to learn more about your friends and community, their wisdom, their trials and tribulations, timeless insights and their secrets. Now, let's get into the show. Please welcome your host, Cal Aras. Hello, uh, friends, and welcome to Season 10 of uh, Wisdom of Friends Show. I'm super delighted and excited to be introducing you to Jillian Watley. She's a two-time Olympian, a former 13-year member of the U.S. ski team, and also a former member of the U.S. cycling team. She's also a shamanic practitioner, a wellness and fitness coach, and most importantly, a mom. In her own words, her passion lies in walking alongside her clients and helping them to honor their original story and wounds, then helping them to find their unrealized selves so that they may in turn write a beauty-filled new story. This is a fascinating conversation, friends. Uh, in this episode, Jillian and I talk about uh, the importance of uh, mindset, having those uh, Olympian rituals, and to uh, address the holistic uh, a mind, body, spirit, if you will, to lead a fulfilling life. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. So without further ado, let's welcome the one and only Jillian Watley. So good afternoon, uh, Jillian. Welcome to Season 10 of Wisdom of Friends Show. I'm super delighted and excited that you took the time to be on this program and and what is fascinating about having you on the show is that you're not only a two-time Olympian, you're a former 13-year member of the U.S. ski team, you're a member of the U.S., a former member of the U.S. cycling team, and you moved on to not only helping people around the globe on wellness and healing and, you know, uh, not only uh, sculpting their physical body, but also sculpting their soul. And I want to get into that uh, shortly here. But we normally kick off a show, uh, Jillian, by asking a guest a simple but profound question. And that is, what's your favorite quote or quotation and uh, or your philosophy and how have you applied it to your life? Oh, that's such a big one. There are many. Oh, um, I, one of my favorites, though, is um, if not now, when? right? Stop making the excuses and get out there and do it, whatever it is for you. Um, But also um, that place of creating our own masterpiece. We all have that ability within ourselves and we just need to sometimes roll up our sleeves and do the, the, the um, hard work, if you will. It doesn't need to be hard, but sometimes we need to walk through the shadows of our own soul so that we can come out on the other side and find the gifts within ourselves. Yeah, no, I I absolutely like that because it's really uh, taking personal responsibility and believing in yourself to say, you know, if not me, who, if not here, then where, and if not now, then when, and I I really, really like that. And I was uh, looking at your website here and you got a beautiful quote on fitness. And let me just uh, read that for our audience here. It says, overall fitness is an art with your body as your canvas movements as your brush, and nutrition as your palate. We all have the ability to turn ourselves into our own masterpiece. And that's from Jillian. So Jillian, I'm curious, uh, where did you grow up and uh, what was your childhood like? And, you know, who were your influencers early on? And uh, how did that shape your uh, philosophy? And how did that make a difference for you? I grew up in a little town in Western New York called Ellicottville. Um, I mean, and that's when I started skiing, um, and I was not very good, but boy, <laughs> and you know what I'm really good at? Get, falling down and getting back up. That's what I'm very good at, be noted there, but my childhood, it was happy. We were out playing. We were getting dirty. Um, yeah, I would often get sent back outside the hose off and uh, before I could come in. <laughs> Thanks, Mom. And <laughs> and just get out of our hair go outside and play and it was a safe safe little town and we just rode our bikes everywhere and we played and we laughed and my sister and I were two peas in a pod going everywhere we could yeah on our bikes 
No, that's great. So uh, you're a New York native. And so how did this, so let me ask you this. So you ended up becoming an Olympian. Was there a specific moment for you like that inspired you to become an Olympian or how did that journey unfold for you? Uh, was it something that you watched on TV where while you were four or five years old and I said, that's what I want to do? I was about 10 when I wrote in my journal. I, I found this about 15 years ago. Um, I will go to the Olympics. Yeah, and, and I'll go twice. So what inspired me? Uh, I remember Mary Lou Retton inspired me. So I was determined. Mm. Um, and you know what? It wasn't just her athleticism, though, I'll tell you. It was her... It was her presence. It was her charisma, how she fully showed up. And when she showed up, it was the joy of what she did. And that's what drew me, right? And um, her love of every part of it. And what I came to find as an athlete is I thought everybody loved it. I thought people didn't work that hard because they genuinely loved it. But no, they don't. Some people just like to win. Some people are just good at it. For me, it was that it was that pursuit of excellence. How how can I better my best? Yeah. No, that's that's really a good point uh, you made, Jillian. Because uh, you know, and it's not only in the Olympic arena or domain. I mean, even with uh, in the world of business that I come from, you see so many successful leaders or so many uh, entrepreneurs that they chase after a particular goal and they become successful. And then they wonder what's next and why they're not happy. And it's not about the destination. I think you bring up a very, very good focus too. I mean, they win the gold, they win the silver, and now like, what's next? What do I do? That's it. And and so the focus really needs to be on the pursuit of excellence. And that can carry over in all aspects of life. Don't you agree? Absolutely. And that that's what was so beautiful. I think sports sculpted me in such a way that there's so much I carry from that to who I am. And also I was in a judge sport, not when I was cycling, but I was in a judge sport. So every day, be it the coaches, be it the judges, you're not good enough. And so you take it, you take it, you take it until one day you stand up and go, yes, I am. The sport is not all of me. That's just one aspect of me. And I think that as an athlete, as an entrepreneur, as whatever our title is, we, we sometimes become that and think that's all we are, but to see there's so much more. We're, we're multidimensional. Absolutely. And, and also, I think uh, that brings up another point about, you know, when we are focused on one thing and that becomes our sole identity, <clears throat> and when that identity is taken away from us for whatever reason, could be a life crisis or could be change of circumstances, now you are wondering, you know, who are you if you're not this, right? And a lot of people deal with that. I had uh, recently uh, read this uh, study that was done about astronauts. You know, that's like the highest level you can kind of like think about, like, you know, going into space and becoming an astronaut and you give your life and your entire being to this pursuit of going to space and you get there and now you come down, now do what, right? After that, what's the next big thing that you can be inspired about? Right. And, and, and it's really uh, you really make a good point about being multidimensional and having uh, several pursuits so that you're not tied to one single thing as your identity. Uh, so let's go back to uh, New York. So you did watch Get Inspired. And then uh, what were some of the next steps you took to become that Olympian? Did you go to a particular did you pick a school or did you go to a particular college or, uh, you know, look for scholarships or how did that <laughs> no, I, I just I was just loved, right and that's where my friends were and that's what the, my friends were doing and so I was out there with the boys and we're skiing the moguls and that's what we were doing and then people said hey you're pretty good and I go yeah 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 I'm just doing what I love hey no you're you're really good and I go I'm just just same thing right I'm doing what I love and so there was one man in particular he and his wife Chris and Vicky Brown Chris and Vicky and they would um they would pay for the freestyle team. We'd show up. We didn't have a whole lot of money, right? Blue collar. And they would, they'd pay for the freestyle team. And I would work in his, in Moose's ski shop. And probably once a week, he'd walk me around the block and he'd say, come on, Jillian, pursue this. And I'd go, pursue what? He goes, you're a big fish in a little pond. And I said, I don't even know what you're talking about. I just love to ski. And I love the camaraderie. And he's, and he was, so he was planting those seeds. I never thought to think bigger than what it was. And so I um, finished 
high school and I said, great, now I'm going to make the U.S. ski team. That's what my friends are, some of my friends are doing. That's what I'm going to strive for. And my mom and dad said, no, you're not. You're going to go to college. And I said, no, I'm not, not yet. And they said, you go now, we'll pay for it. You go later, we won't touch it. And I said, great, I'll go later. And they go, no, it wasn't a choice. <laughs> you're going to college. And so I played um, Division Three, but I played soccer and I blew my knee for the first time in the first game. <laughs> And I remember going down and hearing the knee pop. And I said, gosh, if next, if this is to happen again, it's going to be doing something, what I really love, and that will be skiing. So what I did is I took those next years um, of college at university and I coached. I coached for the local freestyle team. And it was the best thing because this seems is a theme in my life. But it made me slow down, go back to basics. And I was giving of myself, teaching others. And it made me just rebuild my turns, rebuild my jumps. And then when I graduated from college, I tried out for the U.S. team, and I, I produced the results, and I made the North American tour. I won that tour this year. I, I'm just <laughs> locked down, re- was ready to go, and um, then went on to world champs the next year. I qualified for the world championship team, and then my career went from there. Not without that's, Yeah, that's beautiful. So let me ask you this. Um, so that little girl who wrote in her book about making making it to the Olympics in your journal when you were 10 years old, and that moment, do you recall that moment when you actually became part of the U.S. Olympic team and that dream being fulfilled? What was that like for you? What's, what was that feeling? Tell me, describe that feeling. <laughs> it, wow. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was um, I don't think I could describe the feeling. Because for me, I would watch a lot of my teammates. Easy for me to stay on the other, on the opposite side. I'm a worker, right? I see a goal, mm. and I find a way through it. I I had some t- natural talent, but I wasn't one of those that could just cruise on through. I would roll up my sleeves. I'd go back to the drawing board. This isn't working. What about this? What about this angle? How about this? So when I actually made it, I remember there was an interview. I was being interviewed by the Buffalo News um, the night before the last qualifying World Cup for. Um, games. So let me just say to those of you that don't know, the World Cup happens every year. World Championships happen every other year for our sport. And then every four years is the Olympics. So the best go on the U.S. team. Then the best of the best go to the World Championship team. And then the, the elitist, right, make the Olympic team. It's 0.005% of the population that makes, I just found that out, um, the Olympic team. But anyway, the night before the event, um, Bucky was his name. And he said, all right, Botley, what do you need to do to qualify for the Olympics? And I said, Bucky, I need a podium. And he goes, okay, have you done it to date? And I go, not yet. Tomorrow I will. And that next day, I'll tell you, <laughs> there are runs and you have to qualify. The format was such that I had to qualify the first run. I'd be the top 12 to make the finals run. I qualified, but on my second run, I landed the we had two jumps in our run. I landed and my goggles shifted and they were like this on my face. So I could kind of see out of, I couldn't see out of one eye and then I could kind of see out of the other. So what it forced me to do was just to shut my brain off. And I just had to remember what I'd already done so many times. But I remember I landed and I thought, there's no way I'm letting this go. And I crossed that finish line and I made, I qualified. I had a third place finish and that's what I needed to get on the team. Congratulations. That's such an amazing story. And uh, it's really muscle memory, a race strategy. And, you know, that's, uh, that's indeed so great. <laughs> For us overthinkers. Yeah. Right, right. And then it sounds like, I mean, uh, you know, one of the things I noticed right away about you is skiing is really the love of your life. It's your first love, if I may say. And uh, it's, uh, and it's something that you're so passionate about because uh, one of the articles I was reading about uh, your experience on uh, one of the mountains and how you take this practice of gratitude on the mountains and being before you kind of like start your skiing practice. So, so my question to you is, uh, and I would like to talk to you more about your rituals as an Olympian and then the transition. Uh, but one of the questions we normally get from our audience is, you know, how do we find a passion? And obviously, you have become successful at the highest level because, you know, an Olympian is like the hallmark of excellence and hard work and dedication. And 
Of course, all those things, are not only nationally, but at the global level. And, you know, it's, it's like somebody that makes history on the planet. And you're one of those rare, rare air personified people. So you obviously found your passion early on and you had to make the call, uh, you know, playing soccer and all the other games and choosing to go after skiing uh, after you had that knee uh, uh, problem, if you will. <laughs> so if somebody is listening to this and you had some advice to offer them about passion, what would you say to them? That, that can be a slippery question. That, I, I've, I've gone to leadership conferences where I've realized that some people have never known passion. Some people have never felt a fire to get up and stand for something. Um, and gosh, that's beautiful to witness when they finally do. But I, it, it can be... I think I really believe that we need to look at what we enjoyed as a child and start there. So just to taste the joy again, because at some place back there, there was the joy and maybe we've lost it. So I, I think it's that self-reflection. Okay. Is it that as a child, what did I enjoy the most? It was being with friends. Okay. Um, what were my friends like? What was I like? And just, um, did I enjoy art? Just looking at where is it nature? Is it, sharing with individuals is it is it numbers is it just going back to that and keeping it really simple it doesn't need to all be figured out at once but just going back to the quiet of what what makes me smile yeah Yeah, and i like that it's uh it's being more observational and noticing it about the moments that bring us the greatest joy. And you are a big fan of the experience of joy in everything you do as well as excellence. So one of the things that uh, I want to ask you is, uh, how, was the, how was the transition from being an Olympian and, uh, you know, to becoming a coach? How did that journey begin for you? Did you, like, know right away that you wanted to coach people or was that a passion of yours that you kind of encountered? for a while or so coaching uh, the shamanic work is what I'd been doing that for six years before the studying and the coaching there I'd been doing it before I retired but even though I wasn't didn't have all my and and I'm a, I designed jewelry I didn't have all my chips in one basket I still went into a flat spin right 13 years and I didn't when I didn't make the 10, 2010 games which I was had that sole focus, right? I can hone in and that's what I want. I go A, D, C, keep on, okay, keep on task and this is what's coming next. So anyway, when I didn't make that games, I retired and then I went into a woof. So you were saying right after you didn't make it to the Olympic team and then uh, you were looking at different options, designing jewelry and and that's when the shamanic uh, introduction happened into your life. Is that correct? Started before actually. Oh, it did? Okay. 2004, yep, and um, teaching and working with clients in 2008. But even so, I, as, um, as an athlete on the U.S. team, as an Olympian, you still have those four-year cycles, and you know what you're training for every single month, right? And so with my sole focus being on making those 2010 games and not making it, I still went into that spin, right? When you have that much momentum going in a certain direction, and then you don't get that or don't achieve that, there's still, um, there are a lot of emotions that come up. And um, so it took me, <laughs> it, it took me um, probably, well, I got pregnant with my, my son about a, no, that year, that year. And so my, all my focus went into him. Um, and so it took a few years in the making to realize that all that passion that I have for sport could, I, I really, I found myself in helping other people. To achieve mm. greatness, and that I would say has brought me more joy than my achievements with sport. But I needed I needed that journey to know to discover enough about myself and to trip over enough rocks and hit my head enough times to know to to have those those life lessons to be able to teach from. Well, that's uh, that's a beautiful uh, <clears throat> realization, uh, Jillian, because it sounds like, you know, contribution is a, definitely a big value for you. And it's like helping others become the best version of themselves, if you will, and, uh, you know, helping them heal, uh, overcome their limiting beliefs, patterns, subconscious patterns and things like that. So did 
how did because you know there is a zen or buddhist saying that when the student is ready the teacher appears uh and when the student is really really ready the teacher disappears right so <laughs> so uh was there how did you uh meet this particular shaman that had such a big influence on your life your career your work in the world was there a story about that a story about that i am um, I went, I saved my pennies and I went to a retreat with um, the Four Winds Society led by Alberto Violdo in 2004. And I was so excited to be there because I read his books and I just couldn't, I was in awe. But I didn't know a soul there and they had all been doing the, the studies, the, the four directions. Um, and so I showed up there just excited. I didn't have any questions. I just wanted to be in their presence, right? Because they'd all done their healing work. And I thought, wow, and I have nothing to contribute, but I'm just excited. <laughs> anyway, I befriended a woman there who, um, who I don't there was a small group of us and Alberto was standing there and um, I'm just listening, you know, and she said, you know, Alberto, you should sponsor Jillian. And he looked at me and I thought, no, 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 no. And he goes, she's an Olympic athlete. And he goes, huh, great. Tell you what, maybe. Let me talk to you. Meet me here tomorrow at 4 o'clock. And I thought, what? And the next day I met with him and he said, what are you seeking? And I said, Alberto, I met with the doctors of sports psych. They, they told me that nothing left to teach me. And I said, but here's what it is. There's so much more of me as an athlete, as a person, I just can't get there. I'm not in crisis. I mean, I, of course, I have things to work through. I just don't know how to get there. And he goes, fascinating. Okay, let's begin. And so Alberto was working with me. And then his, the dean of the school, Light Body School, Linda Fitch, who's been my mentor for years, one of my dearest friends, came in and they took me under their wings. And I'll tell you, it's very, very fascinating with the healing work when you're applying sport to it because you can see the, the changes in a different way than just walking day to day through life. And so I'll give you an example, if I may. Sure. Yeah. So with my sport, I've transitioned the sport transition from keeping your feet underneath your head. That was only deemed safe to um, for a year later in 2002, 2003. Now you were allowed to flip because suddenly it was, it was safe enough. Right. For me, that was the worst thing you could have told me, right? A lot of people split from the sport because it was no longer a matter of blowing a knee. Now it's your, it's your spine. It's your brain mm. taking those hits. And you're going 30-some miles an hour down the slopes and one iota of doubt and you are down. All your fears are right there in your face, right? It's not like a marathon runner where they're just in that pain for all those hours. Um, but I went, went, I went from the year before my coach saying to me, Come on, Jillian, you got this. You get in there. You can hit that jump to the next year. She goes, holy shit, holy. <laughs> now you're out jumping the men. And I said, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. And I'm not someone that gets out there and I'm going to take the biggest risk. They're calculated. So I, when I said that I was fine, I wasn't being reckless. I was coming from a place of I'm checking in with my body with everything. And I feel good about it. She said, okay. One of my favorite ways to spread the message of a mission here at Wisdom of Friends is through speaking. Over the last two years, I've delivered keynotes and workshops at professional associations, small and large companies, on topics related to engineering happiness, how to boost productivity, employee engagement, and workforce stability for bottom line results, and the science of happiness and the art of fulfillment. So if you think... I'll be a fit for your upcoming event and want to learn more. Visit the speaking link at wisdomoffriends.net and get in touch. Again, it's the speaking link at wisdomoffriends.net. Wow, that's, that's such a beautiful story. So you mentioned something about the, the doubt factor because, you know, when you're you know, skiing at that level, you're a mogul and you're like an Olympian, what is it about such extraordinary individuals that they are able to, uh, you know, something about doubt and something about fear that we all have as a human being, it's just a part of our DNA, if you will. But some people are able to better manage it and specifically when it comes to Olympians and athletes. So what's been your experience and your training tell you or teach you about fear or doubts and then uh, 
And what can people learn from your experience in this regard? Is there, what's your philosophy on that? I think we just need to become aware. We need to become aware of what our internal dialogue is. What are you saying to yourself? So I guarantee you every time I stood up there and I go, don't fall, I fell. Oh, don't turn there, I turn there. Oh, you probably don't belong here. Look at, she's, she has a gold medal. What are you thinking about saying? I, I can't play defense. So I had to come, become the, not the master of my own thoughts, but become aware. And so that monkey brain, when we're in that place of fear, will go, and it's trying to protect us. So instead, I try to become the observer and go, okay, okay, I hear you. I hear you. Not saying, get away, stop, stop, stop. I hear you. Thank you. But right now, that doesn't do me any good. So when I was doing a cork 720, an off-axis, double-twisting flip that no, none of the other women were doing in the Olympics, my and I'm scared to death to jump. My monkey brain was going nuts. Are you kidding me? You can break your back. Do you know so-and-so just broke her back? And I'd go, okay, enough. And then it would stop. And I'd go, okay, will I even take views today? Then I'd, go, I'd fast forward 30 seconds in my life, a minute in my life, and go, are we good? And I could hear my future self say, we're good, go. So it was detaching from what honoring, detaching, and then going forward. And so I that, love it. Yeah. I think, is invaluable. So, you know, so that brings up two points, right? One is that we all have the fear. We all have the doubts. We all have the conversation. We say to ourselves, the monkey mind. So it's not that we are unique in that situation. All of humanity deals with it. But what is also inspiring and encouraging, what you just shared, Jillian, is that it is something that can be managed. I don't know if it can, you can kind of like get rid of it completely because it is, the brain is a survival mechanism that's been around for your own protection. And, uh, you know, it's no longer there's a, a saber-toothed tiger out there that's trying to kill you, but, you know, it's still trying to protect you. Uh, and the, the challenges or the circumstances may not be so dire oftentimes when the mind deceives us in trying to protect ourselves. But what you just shared is you can have a conversation, you can witness it, you can be an observer and say, not now, thank you for sharing, and then get back to focusing on what the goal is. Uh, so it's, it's really a mental training, would you say, that something, some, anybody who can really practice and kind of like be with that can really uh, overcome it. Yes? Yep, and then when you have time to sit with it, you can say, okay, when you're dialoguing with yourself again or journaling, you can say, okay, what, what are your biggest fears? And then you peel them like an onion. Why? Okay, interesting. Why? Just keep going with it. And then just get, and maybe it's just a scared three-year-old that's saying, because when I did this, I hurt, broke my, or bruised my toe. And it's something that seems so small to the adult brain, but becomes something so big. Right? It certainly does. I mean, you know, those trigger events, uh, can be an interpretation. It can be a story that's made up when your mind was three years old or four years old, but you carry those wounds and uh, in your adult life. And then even the slightest form of trigger can regenerate those feelings and knowing. And that's some. That's one of your expertise, right? You work with clients all around the globe to helping people uh, heal their wounds now, so they can really get a glimpse of being whole, perfect, and complete. And that's one of your specialties because you're a wellness wellness coach now, and it's not only about the physical aspect of it, but you work with their soul. We work on the overall holistic approach to it. So, what are some of the uh, practices that you help your clients with in order to really cl- get a glimpse of their magnificence? Uh, is that something uh, you're open to sharing? Uh, maybe perhaps give us an example of. What kind of challenges that the clients come to you with and uh, the breakthroughs they have? So it, I tend to attract the clients that have said, you know, that's similar to me where they've said, I, I, there's more. I just can't get there. And I'm sick of this story. I cocooned myself in. I just, I don't know. I just, I know that I just can't quite get there. They can't wiggle in that old story anymore. I'm, off. I'm sick of telling myself these same lies. And so um, I, I try to bring them back to do the awareness of their thoughts, which we already touched in. And a lot of people, they, they need to get in touch with their bodies. Some are more, most people that come 
are um, in touch with their soul and they're not as in touch with their body. And so there's maybe some trauma that happened and they've disassociated from their body and so they've come back in. And then those that are also those, it runs the gamut. But those that um, most people just want um, to, they're looking to empower themselves. And so I'm there to help them. And a lot of times, really what I am is I'm sacred witness and I'm listening and they're telling me stories about Johnny and Susie and so on and so forth. And I'm going, okay, great. I'm listening for the larger pattern um, and to see what the original wound is so that it can be honored and then moved beyond. Um, and some of that's done energetically. Those that don't want to go to the energetic realm, that's fine. I'm still listening, and then I can give them very practical skills. So um, for some people, uh, I, I love this. It's just go out in nature and go walk in your grass barefoot and just reconnect with the mother and all the worries that are bothering, that are you're carrying, just try to let them go with every single step. If that's not enough, go for a hike. Put your shoes back on maybe unless you have tough feet. Grab a stone walk with that stone. And just bringing the, the worries, the concerns to ceremony, bring them out of your body with your breath. The power of breath is just brilliant. And get them into the stone. Let the, the stone take it, and then you'll release it into water and to the hillside with gratitude. And the earth will mulch those, those fears. So those are some things. But um, becoming aware, what is it, nine of ten thoughts we think every day are the same? as the day before. So I see that as a great opportunity. Gosh, in 10 days, I could be thinking new thoughts. So I come at it from a place of choice. We're not in that place of victimhood. What can I do today that's going to make my life, make other people's lives a little bit better? What can I do? And if I'm, I say to people that are feeling very despondent about life, then go and and give of yourself Go and give of yourself in some way. Maybe that means you bring a neighbor a meal. Maybe you just bring a stranger a smile and a compliment. But just it doesn't need to be complicated. It's all it's it's going back to the sim- the simplicity. I love it, and uh, you know I'm reading one of your quotes here, and my passion lies in walking along side by side with my clients and helping them honor their original story and wounds. And then helping them find their unrealized selves so they may in turn write a beautiful, a beauty-filled new story by Jillian. That is such a beautiful sentiment, Jillian. And, I, you know, it's like what I'm hearing is that your own experience of having reached that pinnacle and knowing that there is more to you and that, you, you know, you just haven't figured out a way to reach that potential and that's where you, you know, destiny hazard or synchronicity, if you will, that you run into the shaman and then that whole journey began for you and that, you know, that wonderful experience that you personally had has helped you become a conduit, if you will, an instrument for helping others realize their beauty in them so they can write their new story. Uh, So that's so fascinating, Julian. So let me ask you this. Uh, One of the challenges that, you know, we've had uh, quite a few Olympians on the show now so even at their highest level, you know, there is still people get disoriented now because, you know, with sometimes you could be like really committed to your diet, your fitness, your mental state, your race strategies, your training and all of that. You know, you're following the coach's directive and, you know, using thought therapy and all of that. And then something still happens where that throws them off. They get disoriented. Like a good classic example is, a pandemic, which has impacted the Olympics now that, you know, was supposed to be this year, 2020 Tokyo Olympics got moved to 2021 now, starting in July. I think it was July, end of July to August. But so now that has put a, a monkey wrench into a lot of plans uh, for not only athletes, but also for coaches. A, you can't go to the gyms anymore. You can't train anymore until all this thing gets sorted out. Coaches are being fired because they can't find a job to continue with their practice. So how do people, what's been your experience or what would be your advice to Olympians who are just starting out on this journey that, you know, how do you deal with a situation like this? So you may or may not have an answer because this is really an extraordinary times with this pandemic and nobody's dealt with something like this before. But what's what's your thought? What are your thoughts on it? 
I, I think with everything that's going on, my perspective is look, look for the grace, look for the gifts. And so mm. say if I was an athlete training for the current Olympics, I'd say, okay, what's the gift? You know what? I really could improve my stride if I'm a runner. Maybe I need to, maybe I can take the opportunity of this year and go back to um, the drawing board on this. So I'd look for it there. And then um, when, when things happen, Olympians qualify in their appendix first the week before. They blow their knee the day before. I, I'd yeah. still for the great gift. Where, yeah, and just <laughs> as hard as it is, right? I mean, well, I, I believe we're co-creators in this story called life and taking a little accountability with, with it. Okay, you know, maybe this is what I needed and now I can use this to, to uh, I can take this and go in the direction I wanted to go. Or maybe I just need to roll up my sleeves and keep going. I, not to turn it back to me, but I've, I've had seven knee surgeries, and I remember I was on my fifth at the time, and a guy got in my face, and he said, who do you think you are? How dare you? You're foolish. You're this. You're this. You're this. You're going to be arthritic. You're going to be this. And I go, whoa, 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 whoa. Hang on. That's your story, not mine. So everything I do, I try to go back. I listen. I'll put it in a cartoon bubble, and I take it back, and I run it through my body. Does it fit? So I aim to know myself well enough to know, is, is that my truth? No, it's not. And people are happy to projectile vomit on you. And yeah, and I think with the, with the whole pandemic, the thing is to not collude with the consensual fear that's going on. See the opportunity. Use this time to grow within yourself. Be in stillness. Be with yourself. And, and hopefully you can find something that you love about yourself and build on that. That's awesome. Really awesome, man. It's uh, really I think two things you shared, which is beautiful. One is, you know, not allowing anyone else's projections or, as I call it, emotional puking uh, on people with their own insecurities and, uh, and not letting that get to you, but also not totally suppressing it either. But I think what you do differently, and I haven't, I haven't really heard anybody say this, but I think you said it so beautifully, is that letting that run through your body and not suppressing it or not ignoring it or discarding it, but letting it run through your body because it could still be useful feedback sometimes. And, you know, if you don't try that on, you don't know that. So you run it through your system and then say, is this my truth? And if not, then you let it go and, uh, and you're clear. No, that's, uh, that's amazing. Uh, so a couple of other questions before we uh, get into uh the next section here. One is, uh, you know, you've traveled all over the globe. I take it Italy was one of the destinations of your uh, Olympics. What's been your favorite uh, travel place in your uh, in your life so far? Any particular destination? I know nobody can travel right now, but what's been your favorite so far? Costa Rica with my son last fall, and that was spectacular. And you know, if I I may share, it's. It's the jungles, it's the monkeys, it's the, the humidity, it's everything about it, but it's also the people. And I'll tell you what I found was remarkable is I'm American, of course, and I was a little guarded being there where they'd ask you, how are you? And I'd go, yeah, 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 right? As Americans, we rarely stop to listen. And then seven days later when we were leaving, we were at the airport and the, the, the attendant when I was handing over my luggage, what I'm facing, I'm sorry, the... Um, the airline, not the attendant, where you check in. Anyway, he said, how was your stay? And it took me that long for it to hit me. <laughs> I looked at him and I thought, he doesn't want anything from me. He genuinely cares. And I thought, oh my gosh, isn't that beautiful? And so that, that's part of what I loved. And isn't that gorgeous? They really it is gorgeous, and I know exactly what you mean because Costa Rica is indeed one of my favorite places. Pura Vida, you know, that's what they call uh, call it over there. It's a greeting as soon as you land in Costa Rica. That's Pura Vida is like, you know, happy life. Uh, but yeah, absolutely right. I mean, the, just, uh, you know, a few years ago, I was in Nosara, which is considered to be a blue zone where... Uh, you know, it's clear air, people live longer, the food tastes great, and all of that wonderful things. And and it's just the majestic uh, natural beauty that the country has. But, but you're right, the people. They're genuine. They love people. They love tourists. And, uh, you know, you really wonder, wow, they don't want anything from you. All they want to share your happiness and share the joy with you, right? 
remarkable. Yeah. It is remarkable. No, that's great. Uh, any uh, books, Jillian, that you've read that has uh, left a lasting impact on you or any book that you would like to recommend for our audience? I think one, one of them, gosh, there are so many. How to Break the Habit of Being Yourself, right? Joe Dispenza, um, The Invitation. Anyone that hasn't read at least the poem, she, searched, she has a book, Orion Mountain Dreamer. She, she, she starts, she went to a party, she came home, despondent, she was sick of the small talk, and she wrote down, um, I won't be able to recite the whole thing, but it doesn't interest me what you do for a living. I want to know what you yearn for. Mm. And she talks about the trials and tribulations of life. And when you're beaten down, can you still get up and scream to the moon? Yes. Right. Can you get <sighs> up? Yeah. And do what needs to be done to feed the children, to do, yeah, to live, really live. This life, yeah, it's life. beautiful. And indeed great. Um, so here's a hypothetical uh, question for you, Jillian. You're a mom and, you know, you've achieved the highest uh, levels of success that as an athlete and now you, you know, you've been an ambassador for a lot of ski resorts and you help people are really, uh, you know, wellness and holistic healing and so many things. Now, when you look at your life and, you know, having experienced the ebb and flow, what's your definition of a good life or a successful life? Gosh, that's a good one. Um, I think it comes down to, um, did you really live, right? Were you kind? Did you help? What did you bring forth? How did you contribute to this life? Did you leave it a little better? Mm. Do that as the garbage man. You don't have to do, have these fabulous accolades, but how do you show up? I mean, the Costa Ricans, what do they have? I don't mean all of them. I just mean for it's third world still, right? They don't have much money in the bank, but the amount of joy they spread within their own communities, and that ripples. That's right. Absolutely. It's uh, made the world a little better. Um, yeah, I like that. Absolutely. It's living the good life. It's contribution at the end of the day. Because, you know, like you shared, I mean, you did achieve the highest accolades. You're the Olympian, uh, you know, uh, former 13-year member of the ski team, U.S. ski team, and and all of that had its place, but really the joy that you get is helping others now and helping your clients become the best version of themselves. That brings the greater joy to you. And, and it's really... Can I just say this? In 2002 at the Olympics there, there were these kids standing at the bottom of the course and they had these little badges that said, aspire to inspire. And we're running around, there's everything going on around you, all the hoopla, all the porters and everything, people pulling at you. And those kids are what I remember. And I looked at them and I said, thank you. You've inspired me to aspire to be better. And I'll never forget those kids. Yeah, so they inspired me, <laughs> right? And that's really how I feel that we can live a great life. That's, that's absolutely uh, yeah, great, uh, great point there. So what are your uh, favorite hobbies and interests, Jillian? What do you like to do when you're not skiing, when you're not uh, coaching and consulting? How do you take care of yourself? What are some of the things you like to do as your hobby and interest? I move. I need to move. You know what my favorite thing to do is to mountain bike. I love nature. That's when I'm happiness, happiest. So I, I'm such an introvert, and I, I love to give, but I need to recharge by um, exercising, and I need to just disappear. I had a friend say to me, you can't go mountain biking on your own. It's too dangerous. And I said, I, I, I need to. I need to. I'm calculated about my wrists, right? But I need to get deep in the mountains or along the beach or wherever it is. And that's my reconnection. That's how I, that's what refuels me. So what is it about the mountains? I've, you know, I've read a lot of your interviews and there's always the reference of the mountains that comes up. And it's something that is, holds a special bond with you. So when you're in the mountains up there, all by yourself, what's that, what, what's, what are you communicating with nature? What's your uh, uh, conversation like out there? I'm listening to the winds. I'm listening to the whispers. And that's what I'm always hoping to hear. And so for me, I have, I, as I said, I have a hard time sitting still. So I try to do more of the hummingbird approach where it's that I try to seek that stillness in motion. And I'm listening to what, what I can't hear when I'm running, what I'm not as aware of when I'm running around in my day-to-day life. So I just, through that movement, I'm just listening to what the yeah. It's, uh, so would you say, I mean, it sounds like, I mean, it's like uh, skiing for you is moving meditation. Being in nature is like, 
you know, just being in touch with the uh, natural beauty of it. So here's another uh, hypothetical, Julian. Okay, if you could go back in time and talk to your young self, the little girl in New York who are growing up, what, what advice would you give her? Oh, that makes me tear up for some reason. I would say, oh, I'd say um, to go easy. Go easy on yourself and believe in yourself because you, you're full of magnificence. And shine, baby, shine. That's what I'd say. It's okay to shine. That's great. I love it. That's such a beautiful message. If anyone, if there's nothing else people can take away from this conversation, I would say shine, baby, shine. That's such a beautiful quote that you left here. I think people are going to quote you for quite a long time on that that one. (laughs) That's great. Uh, So moving on here, in the interest of time here, we're almost getting close to an hour, and I want to be – you know, I could really talk to you like all day long. I mean, you're just, uh, whoa, you know, a plethora of uh, wisdom nuggets there. So that's just beautiful. Um, so here's the next uh, section, which is a rapid fire round, Jillian. And uh, the first question that I have for you is like, what's your, who's your favorite music band? I'd say of, as of late, Xavier Rude. Oh, nice. He's all soul. <laughs> okay, so here's another one. What color is most prevalent in your wardrobe? What is the, your favorite color? And is it a conscious choice or an irresistible pull? Pink, pastel pink. And I mm. think um, pastel pink, it's the, it's the color of gentle love. So I think I try to bring that gentleness forth. I think subconsciously, I don't know. Yeah, I got it, pink. Okay. If you could be successful in another profession, Jillian, whoa, which one would you choose? Ooh, I, uh, I, I'm, I'm fidgeting here. But one thing I, I've been encouraged to do that I, I fear is getting on stage with the large groups, which I've done. But for me, it's the, that scares the bejesus out of me, right, to stand up in front of the crowds and uh, – mm and shine baby shine (laughs) (laughs) nice the single most valuable lesson you've learned in life that's the first thing that comes to your mind right it's just not that important I'd say right the things that you make a big deal of it's just not that important let it go yeah it's yeah we're not so significant let it go I like it Uh, do you believe in magic Jillian and creating it every day. Uh, nice. If you could have witnessed one event in history, what would that be? Oh, I would like to, I know this. some people don't believe that Atlantis existed, but I would love to walk through the crystal cities. Mm. I'd love to witness that, the magic of that time, the wisdom they carried and the technology they had. Wow. Yeah, that sounds fascinating now that you mention it. Um, the five most important things in life, according to you? Sharing joy, being kind, and that means to yourself, to others, um, movement, um, growth, continuing to learn, and, um, and love. Mm. Beautiful. And one final question within the rapid fire round, and that is, if you could have any message of your choice on a billboard, you know, Times Square billboard, and what would that be? I'd say get out of your own way. Get up and live. Yeah, drink it in. I just think life is such a blessing. And if we could just go shift from this place of, what was me to gratitude for even the smallest things? My God, life will shine back on you. Yeah. Shine, baby, shine. I like that. And then uh, I've got the final three sec questions for you, Jillian. And one is, uh, what are, what's your current personal business passion project that you're working on? And uh, what are you looking forward to in the next uh, six months or a year from now? Uh, well, I'm currently doing some online work with um, Tony Robbins. So I, I'm looking to get out of my own way further and, and, and stand a little taller and reach a broader market. Yeah. Because Got I, it. 
put my wings to stay protected and I want to. Yeah, it's time. So what does that look like? Just reaching a broader audience and probably taking things online. Yeah. Got that. And then uh, three things you're grateful for in life. Oh my gosh. My family. Um, Mm. I just think all the guidance that I have and um, what am I else? I'm grateful for all of it. Um, to, li- to, to live where I live because I can so easily just disappear into nature, disappear. I mean, go for a run and be in, in the vast green fields. Mm. Yeah. That's, uh, that's awesome. Uh, is there anything else, Jillian, I haven't asked you that you would like to share with the audience? Gosh, we spoke, we covered so much. You know, I, I, I just just would like to emphasize the importance of, of um, not owning other people's truth as our own and to question what people say. I think so often we are governed by the beliefs of our childhood that are maybe thoughts that were never originally ours they've even just inherited those and so then we it make it becomes habitual and we do what we do but to 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 find out what your truth is and and to let that govern your life i love it thank you for sharing that so i want to take a few moments here to acknowledge you jillian you know just listening to you share your story is so remarkable, not only because of these amazing highs and accomplishments and achievements uh, that we've all witnessed as you being an Olympian and uh, the member of the ski team. And, but, you know, your passion for soulfulness, you know, your love for the poetry, your love for the prose, it's the love for the human brilliance and the magnificence that we are all creating and are able to create for ourselves and becoming the catalyst for people to really shine the light on themselves and become the best version of themselves. And, you know, in your presence, people get that Olympic level of uh, coaching and insights and wisdom uh, that helps them become the best they can be. So thank you for being who you are and thank you for doing what you do. Thank you. And yeah. And one final question, Jillian, this is how we wrap up all our interviews. And that is, why do you think people should listen to the wisdom of friends? Oh my gosh, because we need to be in that place of op- being open to learn and to other, you fill your podcast with so many inspiring people and we grow by listening to others. Thank okay. you. Thank you so much. Jillian, this has been really great. I enjoyed our conversation immensely. I really appreciated our time together. And for everybody listening, With that, we'll wrap it up. And if you like what you heard, please share. Don't be shy. Thanks for listening to the Wisdom of Friends show with Carla Rass. If you enjoyed today's show, head over to wisdomoffriends.net to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover our fantastic bonus content. We hope you'll pass along our web address, wisdomoffriends.net, to your friends and colleagues. Be sure to check out our archive section on the website for previous episodes and subscribe on iTunes, rate, and leave a review. It's very much appreciated. Thank Thank you. you. This has been a Seven Symphonies production Join us next time for another edition of The Wisdom of Friends.